Hey, this is Brennan yourself from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. It is April 2000, the year of our Lord, 2022. Uh, I would say, just personally, the last two years have been the hardest two years of my life, and I would suspect... Uh, looking here at the congregation at the Valley or people in uh, West or Halifax or Charlottetown, many of you would say the same thing. Not just for the pandemic, but probably for a myriad of reasons, difficulties you've gone through. It's been a tough go. My, my journey actually on these two years kind of came like a, a swift, sudden turn into just trial. 2019, I would say, was one of the best years of my life, both on a personal level, happy family, happy kids, happy everything. And then also on a, on a ministry level, the church was doing the best it's ever done. We were, had the, the highest attendance, financially healthy. Uh, we were seeing amazing fruitfulness. We baptized 120 people in one day uh, back in the fall of 2019. I mean, things were just cooking. And early in 2020, God just blessed our family. I think he, I know he knew, I don't think he knew. I know he knew that uh, we were going to need that time uh, because of what was coming. But my family took one of the best vacations we've ever taken together to Florida. The kids loved it. We just had a great time. Uh, we, we, then I went with my wife to, to London, England to hang out at Holy Trinity Brompton with Nikki Gumbel and the Alpha people. And just God just gave me a vision uh, for what the church could be down the road if I give my life to, to this church. And I was just firing on all cylinders, flying high, but basically, when I got back from London, the barrage of texts and messages and requests that basically said, can I talk? Can we talk? Uh, started. And I'll tell you what, I, I, to this day, if you text me, my heart sinks. Like, I, I think I have like a little bit of PTSD of just texts of, I know this is going to be bad. They want to talk. What could this be about? Um, and basically, from a week before the pandemic started, uh, all hell broke loose uh, at the church, with staff, with relationships, things going on in my own family. Uh, my dad's cancer came back. Um, my niece was born with uh, some pretty major health challenges. My aunt passed. Um, during the Months that followed, there was a, obviously, many of you know this, there was a lawsuit taken out that for me was just a deep, deep betrayal. Uh, it was in the news. I was accused, criticized publicly. Uh, and then, of course, all the community pain that we've all shared. And as a pastor, I, I, I hurt when you hurt. And all this kind of tracking along during the pandemic, during all the challenge of just being in charge uh, of a church, like I, I don't envy our political leaders. And you should definitely think, you know, if your own family can't agree on how to manage the pandemic, imagine, <laughs> imagine having to deal with thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. And just pulling my hair out with some of that stuff over the last couple of years, I don't tell you all this for a pity party 
or even to remind you of my humanity and that I'm just a guy. Uh, but I tell you this so that we can all relate to the fact that there are times in life where we find ourselves lost in the wilderness, not quite sure when we're coming out, and not quite sure how we even got in here, or did I, even, did I do this? Or, and I know if I were to go around the room in here or west and just pass the microphone, you could all tell me your story. And I know firsthand that many of you had it far worse than I did over the last couple of years. Broken relationships, there were divorces, family implosions, divisions, people gone off the rails, relapses, addictions, mental illness, crippling anxiety, loss of loved ones. Many people have lost loved ones even in our community. Loss of rhythms and norms, loss of self at times. Uh, and these times in our lives, these wilderness times that we all go through, these relentless moments where we are exposed to the harsh elements of the world that we live in, where we hurt and suffer loss and go through injury, physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, we just need some relief and need a break, these times happen to come for us all, don't they? And it's one thing if you're not a believer, you're an atheist, you're an agnostic. Nihilism makes great sense for someone who doesn't think there is a God in control behind it all. It makes great sense. You know, eat, sleep, for tomorrow we die. Better suck the marrow out of this life because it's all you got. YOLO, you get one life and you better make the most of it. But for those of us who believe there is a God and we believe that he's good and we believe that he's quote unquote in control, it gets really hard to wrap your head around why are these things happening? Why am I going through this? It's one thing to find yourself in the wilderness if there is no God. I guess, you know, as the bumper sticker says, happens. <laughs> right? But what do you do when you find yourself lost in the wilderness and it feels like God led you there? Or at very least, let it happen. We are studying the book of Matthew together, and the purpose of Matthew is to convince you. It's his firsthand account from a tax collector who was called by Jesus. It was his firsthand account of the works of Jesus to try to show you how he is the fulfillment of all the promises of God, that he is the true Abraham, the true Adam, the true Moses, the true David, that all the Old Testament is fulfilled in him and that he himself is the Messiah, our salvation, the hope of the world. And Matthew, he, he lays out these stories to show you how Jesus became king of all things and how he overthrew the principalities and powers of this world through his work on the cross and his resurrection. And yet we find ourselves in chapter three, where Jesus has this incredible moment. He is essentially platformed by God, the most famous person of the time. John the Baptist is out there doing ministry. And it tells us that Jesus comes and John basically points at him and says, okay, my ministry's over. It's time for this, this one, the, the Lamb of God, to take his rightful place. It's all about him. So not only does Jesus have the witness of John the Baptist, but then he comes and he gets baptized. And it says that as he was baptized, a voice from heaven. So not only the voice of John the Baptist, the voice of one calling in the wilderness saying, behold the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Like, talk about a great setup to your ministry. But then... It says, as he was baptized, a voice from heaven 
The booming voice of God said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Wow. But the next verse, and you need to know this about the Bible, originally there were no verse markers. There was no chapters or separations. These were all written congruent. And it says in the next verse, then Jesus was led by the Spirit. He didn't stumble into the wilderness. He didn't make a mistake. He didn't bring this wilderness upon himself. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Another word for tempted here is tested. It's the Greek word perasmos, which means tempt or test. It's a trial. To be tried by the devil. And then it says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. So here we have the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, just at the moment where you think, okay, he's going to establish his kingdom. His identity has been confirmed by God. We see actually the next step is that he's led into the wilderness, not by mistakes or by the devil. He's actually led by the spirit to be tested. This is an incredible turn of events, nothing that anybody would ever have expected But Matthew goes out of his way to show that this is how it happened, this sudden turn of the page, which again, it begs the question, what do we do when we find ourselves lost in the wilderness, especially when it would seem that God led you there? Or at very least, let it happen, which is basically the same thing, right? That's what messes us up so much is like, well, God, you could have stopped that. You had the power to stop that. I mean, you, you could have done that miracle and you didn't. So here we are. You know, you could have healed her, God. You could have fixed that, Lord. You could have saved that. You could have done something and you didn't. And so here we are. What do you do when we find yourself, when you find yourself lost in the wilderness? Now, I want to spend a couple minutes because this gives us insight. We actually get a picture of how Jesus dealt with this moment. I want to kind of dive into that together today. But when you're in the wilderness, over the last couple of years, I have been on a personal level. I don't know if it's just been therapy for me. I got a dog, which has been therapeutic. And I've been forced to walk that guy uh, multiple times a day, five kilometers minimum to kind of keep him from being a psycho. And so I've been in the woods uh, every day for a couple of years, just walking in the woods with my dog while he runs like a madman. And it's awesome. But I've also rekindled some love for the outdoors. I've started fishing a lot again. And I've spent some time with some friends learning how to hunt and how to be outside. And it's, it's been really cathartic to me. But even as I've learned about being out in the wilderness and read some books and done a, done a, the hunter safety course and done all those things, I've learned something about being lost in the wilderness that the, the, the difference between life and death and survival and, and losing the battle in the wilderness is not in how strong you are, how fast you are, how you know, capable you are. It actually has everything to do with your mindset, with how well you're able to think and how clear you're able to be in these times. I, I talked to my friend and colleague and international man of mystery, Justin Allen, the only guy who I know has both done hairstyling and led a team of dogs from the, from like the Northwest Territories all the way to St. John. He's the only guy I know that's spent this much time outside. And I asked him, you know, what is the number one thing that if you're lost in the wilderness that you need to do? And he said, you need to, you need to just stop and you need to think clearly and you need to just like stop panicking 
and remember the, the, the basic things that's going to be the difference. It's, it's about your mentality, about being smart. And in Matthew, we get a picture of how Jesus thought in the wilderness. Now, I don't want to tell you today that if you're in a season of wilderness, that prayer doesn't matter. It absolutely matters. Obedience matters. Diligence matters. Faithfulness matters. All these things matter, but they are plugged back into how you think when you're in that moment. And we find a picture here in Matthew chapter four, where Jesus gets tested and we get a window into his mindset as to how, what enabled him to overcome the enemy. I got three things that we need to remember today when we find ourselves lost in the wilderness. Are you ready? We're going to just like, we, these are things that you know, but someone needs to remember this today because you're panicking and you're freaking out and you just need to just settle yourself and remind yourself that these three things are true. Number one is this. What are we to do when we find ourselves lost in the wilderness? The first thing you have got to do in your moment of trial as a son or daughter of God, when you, as a person, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, the first thing you have to do is to remember, I've been received by the Father. I've been received by the Father. Say, I'm received. You've been received. You've been received. When you are in the wilderness, ultimately the first attack that you're going to face, and we're going to see it here in a second, comes around the question of identity. That if you were in with God, this wouldn't be happening. That's the mindset and the mentality that unrolls, that at least it does in me, that, oh, I must, I'm, God must be mad at me. I must have done something wrong. Now, I'm not talking about the wildernesses that you and I create on ourselves. How many of you know, I don't need God to lead me into a wilderness. I'm capable of doing that all by myself. But I'm talking about those moments where you did nothing wrong. Something happened to you. And in those moments, the first nagging question comes in and says, is God mad at me? What is he doing? The test always comes after. The test always comes after. Let me say it like this. The test of your identity always follows God's stamp of approval. When you have a moment where God encounters you and you encounter God and you have one of those moments of there is a God and he loves me and I'm his and he's mine and you have that moment, I have lived through this enough times to know there is a test that's coming that's going to call into question whether or not you really are a son or daughter of God. The test of identity always follows God's stamp of approval. The enemy comes and first and foremost attacks your identity. I've experienced it. I remember when I was 14, having this moment with God, and then right after, went into a season of struggle and doubt. And then again, it was 21, trying to find my way into ministry, having this incredible season of God, but simultaneously being plagued by doubts. It happened to me in 2012, happened again in 2019, going into 2020. I had some of the the most powerful prophetic words spoken over my life in 2019, ones that I'm still holding on to today, but I'll tell you what, the last two years have called those words into question. It's a question of identity. You've probably experienced it. Maybe I've seen it in my ministry. I, I said to a couple people last week after they were baptized, remember how you feel right now. Remember how you feel while the water's still wet. Remember this moment, how you feel accepted and received because you are. There's going to come a moment where the grace seems to dry up, though. And it feels like you're wondering, was that real? Did that really happen? 
Did God really receive me? Did I really get saved? Did that really wash my sins away? Because I still feel like the same old dirty person. The enemy will come and attack your identity. Look what happens to Jesus. It says in verse three, so Jesus was hungry and it says, the tempter came to him and said this, if you are the son of God, if that's who you are, I mean, yeah, you might've heard God say, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. But if you actually are the son of God, you, you shouldn't be going through this, Jesus. So just tell those stones to become bread. Tell those stones to become bread. The son of God shouldn't be hungry. This shouldn't be happening to the son of God. He calls into question Jesus's identity. He calls it into question. But look what Jesus says. And this is why it's so important. I have to remember what God has already said about me. Verse four, Jesus answered, it is what? Is that present tense, future tense, or past tense? It, it's all, yes. But it, it, it is written that he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It, that it was said. It's already been said. Jesus pulls back from what God has already said to deal with the temptation that is right in front of him. We often make the mistake in the wilderness of looking for a new word when it's actually the old words that will get us through. It's the things that God has already said. See, God, God has already spoken over your situation. The question is, will you choose to believe it and trust it? A lot of the time when the test comes, we, we, we throw what God has already said out the windows. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like you just, you just start to lean more on what our past has to say about us than what God has said. Well, you're always going to be that person, I guess. I guess you're always going to be an alcoholic. We lean on what our friends are saying or have said. You know, Job was given horrible advice in his wilderness by his friends. We lean on what our feelings are, are saying. You know what, Satan, I am hungry. I shouldn't be hungry. And we lean into all the wrong things. How many of us have reformed our theology in the wilderness? Not because God changed. It's because we let the word go and we started looking for new things. For Jesus, what God already said had to be greater than his circumstances. What God has already said. Jesus basically says, look, life comes from whatever God has said, not from bread, not from stones, not from my circumstances. I, he said, I am his son. He is well pleased with me and my circumstances do not call that into question. That is already settled, these circumstances notwithstanding. Let me ask you a question. Have you let the words of your circumstances override what God has already said? Like, have you let the words of your fear and anxiety override God's word where he said, do not worry? Have you let Shame and your past mistakes come back and haunt you where God already said, you are forgiven. You are a new creation. Have you let your, your sexuality and your hungers and your urges come in and, and start to speak to you and override when God said, no, this is how I've designed you. This is the way walk in it. Have you let your anger at somebody, your hurt, override God's word to you saying, be a peacemaker, forgive as I've forgiven you. 
Have you let your disappointment with God override his word saying, trust me, I will cause all things to come together for your good. Jesus and his people survive in the wilderness by trusting what God has already said. Jesus said, I am all, I'm already received. I'm already his son. These stones or bread or lack thereof do not call that into question. Here's a couple reminders of what God has already said if you find yourself in a wilderness today. First and foremost, when you are in a wilderness, you need to be reminded that the wilderness is a sign of God's acceptance, not rejection. The writer of Hebrews says, look, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you or you come into a trial or a difficulty because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He loves. You're like, this is a funny way to love me. But it's not. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And the writer goes on and says, look, even earthly parents know how to guide and direct their kids. How much more does God? Number two, he will bring us through it by his grace and goodness. Remember, God promised that as your days are, so shall your strength be. I will give you enough to get by today. Usually we get defeated because we're looking at tomorrow and we're worrying about tomorrow. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries for itself. You deal with today. Remember, his grace is sufficient. Number three, hard times will come for all, for everyone. You know, I would say especially for believers. We have the whole persecution and the whole fact that now that you follow Jesus, you have a target on your head. The enemy does not like you. You are an enemy to him. You need to know, though, that the rooted survive. And really, a lot of the times, the wilderness really is about you digging your roots in deeper. Did you know that? It's about you getting a deeper grip on Jesus. This is the meaning of the parable of the sower when he talked about the one when the seed fell on rocky ground. Jesus is referring to someone who hears the word and that once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. See, the fight right now for those of you who are in a wilderness is just to stay rooted on his word, rooted on what he's already said. So I need to remember, first and foremost, do not let the devil call your identity into question. It's been established by the Father already. Number two, what are we to do when we find ourselves lost in the wilderness? I need to remember I'm being refined by the Father. I've not just been received, but I'm being refined. There is actually purpose in my pain. There's purpose that God's not going to waste these hurts. He's not going to waste these wounds, but he will use them for my good. Now, some of you are like, well, what about, you know, my wound is actually that somebody else got hurt or I lost my loved one. God is working out their good as well. But when it comes to the pain that you are going through, the invitation is that God will cause all those things to come together for your good. The devil will first call into question your identity. And the second thing he'll do is, you know, not why is this happening? Did I do something wrong? But the, ne the next thing is we are tempted to put God on trial. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you letting this happen? And what are you doing? The lie of the devil is that I shouldn't feel pain. I shouldn't be exposed to this. God should keep me safe. God should protect me. He loves me just the way I am. So the devil will come in and say, you know, if, if God were good, you wouldn't be sick. If God were good, you wouldn't have lost that. If God were good, you would have got the job. 
If God were good, then, then that would have worked out. If God were good, and he plants this question of doubt surrounding the idea of your protection. But look, look how Jesus fights off the devil. The devil comes, verse 5. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand off the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so you will not even strike your foot. You will be perfectly protected. If you're the son of God, you should not be exposed to these hardships. You shouldn't be out here, Jesus, starving, exposed to the heat of the day and the cold of the night, trying to find water. You shouldn't be. If you're the son of God, he should have you cushioned and comfortable and protected. But Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, Jesus keeps quoting. For those of you who are Bible nerds, what's going on here is Jesus is succeeding where Israel failed in the wilderness. He's quoting from Deuteronomy here. He's quoting where Jesus or where God was punishing the children of Israel because they grumbled during their test. They, they got critical of God. They turned their test back onto God and started calling him into question. And God made this commandment, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When you and I are in the time of trial and temptation, our temptation is to put God on trial. Let me say that again. When you are in a time of trial and temptation, our temptation is to put God on trial. To forget that our test is our test. And what we do is we spin it back on him and say, how dare you? This is not what I call Godding. It's a new word, hashtag Godding. This is not how you lead someone, God. I should be protected. And yet Jesus, look how he responds. He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He says, I refuse to put God on trial because of the sum of my circumstances. I refuse to call God's goodness and purpose and capacity into question because things aren't going the way I want them to go. I will not put God to the test. He succeeded where Israel failed, because he knew, he knew the rest of the story too. He knew that God in his mercy led Israel into the wilderness. Do you know that? So how many of you doing the Bible in one year? You already read it, where it says that God saved Israel from Egypt. They passed through the sea through this incredible miracle. And then it said that they wouldn't go into the land right away because the land would devour them. In other words, they weren't ready for it. That God had to get Egypt out of them. And so they spent 40 years being tested and purified and developed in the wilderness so that when they stepped into their destiny, they could actually handle it. And Jesus knew this. When we are lost in the wilderness, we must resist the temptation to put God on trial. It's my test. It's my trial. And I need to know that faith that, can't be, that, faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. Look, you can say you follow Jesus, but until it's been tested, you really don't know. You can say, God will never turn back until that's been tested. You really don't know. Faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. But God uses these moments of our lives, these trials, to actually empower us, to shape us, to change us. It's for our refinement. It's for our refinement. A couple observations from the text and also from my own testimony, and I suspect many of you could concur with this. When we find ourselves in the wilderness during these tests, Here's a couple things I've noticed that happens. 
When we stay rooted and we hold on to God's word and we don't, we don't let go, we don't fall for the temptations of the enemy, the first thing I've found is that these times are the times that I become more like Jesus. It's actually the tests and it's the heat when it's turned up that purifies me and makes me more like Jesus. It's not, it's not the winds, it's not the successes, it's not the mountaintops. I've found that I get shaped far more in the valley, in the furnace, those are the times where God burns the chaff off my life. How many of you know nothing can like cut the crap out of your life like a, like, like a crisis? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you're all up in your head, like worried about this or that, money, all these things. Like, you know, you're like, I got to get home. I got I to gotta PVR the bachelor and I got to get like all the, all the stupid stuff. And then that phone call comes where it gets serious and what happens just cuts through the crap and you're left with you and the real you, and it's all exposed. And I have found in these moments that it makes me more like Jesus, that, it, that these trials, they purify me and they change me. I would say this just by way of testimony. The last couple years, you know, I, I have loved Jesus. I've followed Jesus since I was six years old, obviously had ups and downs, times where I was hot and times where I was cold, ins and outs. I would say though, in the last two years, I have been more shaped by Jesus than I have in my whole life. He's settled me down in ways I needed settling. He's humbled me in ways I needed humbling. He's lowered me in ways I needed lowering and raised me in ways I needed raising. He's made me stronger through these tests. He's made me more like him. I would say my character has been shaped. My calling has been deepened. Let me just say this as your pastor, King's Church, like I said yes to be the pastor here in 2012 and I meant it with everything I had. But the eight years that followed were pretty fun for me after that initial crisis, to be honest. I was having the time of my life. We were succeeding and winning. I was saying no to all kinds of job offers because why? Why would I leave? This is awesome. Yes, God, I'll serve you at King's Church, of course. But the last couple years have not been fun. I don't know if that makes you nervous or makes you, makes you more comfortable. I don't really care. It's just not been fun. But I'll tell you what. I have given God my yes in this season. God, you called me to ministry. You called me to King's Church. You called me to Atlantic Canada. And I'm not leaving because it's hard. And I'm not leaving because all I do is win, 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 no matter what. I freaking lose, it seems, more now. It's like the, the losses are outpacing the wins. And yet my yes has been strengthened. And I've found the pleasure of God over my life in that. It's like it's one thing for me to say, you know, I have these moments of success and these highlight reel moments as a pastor where I'm like, yeah, God, I'm in it for you. Well, we'll see when all this goes away. And there is a deepening to my yes because of this season that nobody can ever take away from me. I, up until this point, have passed my test. Like, I'm not leaving because the room's empty and I'm preaching to a camera hoping that there's somebody listening. I'm not leaving because people are leaving the church. I'm not leaving because it's not going up and to the right. I'm here because God called me, period. And until he says you're done, I'm not done. 
And I'll tell you what, there's a purity to that, yes, that is way deeper. He's changed me. My convictions are deeper. You know, maybe some of you can agree with this. I used to think maybe two and a half, three years ago, that the best thing to ever happen to the world, to Atlantic Canada, to Canada, would be that revival would come and Jesus would be Lord and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of hearts would be turned to him. I, I thought that two and a half years ago. You know what? I think it more today. Like, you know what this world needs? It needs a king. It needs Jesus. People need, we need revival. Like the government needs to meet King Jesus. The school system needs to meet King Jesus. Families need to meet King Jesus. I'm more convinced of that than I was two and a half years ago. See, these, these trials make you more like Jesus. But you know what else I've found? I didn't just find, and I haven't just found that the wilderness will make me more like Jesus, but I've also found in a real subtle, strange way, it makes me like Jesus more. Maybe I'd use the word love. Until you've gone through a valley of a shadow and you've found that even though you didn't get the answers you wanted and you would never have wished that moment on yourself, but you found his presence, his faithfulness and friendship to still be there. I guess you can't know until you've experienced it. I, I have felt the faithfulness of God in my darkest moments over the last couple years. And there's been an intimacy, a deepening of intimacy in my love for him that wouldn't be there if I hadn't gone through challenges. One time Paul said, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his suffering. See, Paul had gone through more than probably any of us had ever or will ever go through. Like, read Corinthians and, and he's, hear his low light reel. It's incredible. Like, shipwrecked three times, taken the 40 lashes minus one three times, been stoned to death and then seemed to live. Like, all the things. And he said, I want to know Christ and the fellowship of his suffering. What was he talking about? He's like, there is... There is a, an invitation to intimacy in affliction that can only come in that space. And it's one thing to know Jesus as deliverer and savior, but the moment that you go through something painful and then you realize he went through that for me, your love for him swells. And I've had many moments where like, I just felt the voice of the Father say, yeah, I know what it feels like to be betrayed. I know what it feels like to be wrongly accused or criticized. And I took that for you. There is an intimacy that comes in the wilderness that can only come. And you know what? This might not be a popular opinion, but I think God loves us enough to let us go through hurts in this life if it means we're closer to him forever. He will. I've discovered his faithfulness. Final thought, and I'll be done. Number three, what are we to do when we find ourselves in the wilderness? So we're going to remember, I've been received. We're going to remember God is using this. He's not wasting these hurts. He's changing me. He's making me more like Jesus and making me like Jesus more. 
Number three, though, future, I'll be rewarded by the Father. I'll be rewarded by the Father. The, the natural progression of the devil's temptation is to call into question your identity, then to call, call into question the capacity of God. God, what are you doing? Why are you letting this happen? And then the natural next thing would be, if I can't trust you now, how can I trust you with my forever? Like, if this isn't going well for me, then how can I trust that, you're gonna, that all things are going to end well and I'm going to experience joy in the end? That's the big question. That's the big question that plagues all of us, and that's at the root of all sin. It's, it's this question of, will I be safe? Will I be satisfied? Will my life be significant? Those, those things plague every human being, and that is the space that Satan always attacks. That's where he got Adam. Adam and Eve fell to that temptation. You can't really trust God. God, God is not giving you the best life and future. There's, there's more than what God has for you. And Jesus is tempted in the same exact way, even though more extreme than any of us will ever experience. And yet he succeeds where Adam failed. Look, look what happens. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord and your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended. So Jesus says, I refuse to worship, or another word for worship is trust, to look to something else to satisfy my needs. Notice the devil offered him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All the things your heart could ever long for, the devil offered Jesus, but he said, I will not put something before him, I will trust the Father with my outcomes. And this is at the heart of your time in the wilderness. The question of trust, the question of worship, will you trust that God will work it all out for you in the end? Even with what's happened, will you trust that God will, will you dare to believe that in the end, God will do well by you? The question of reward. Jesus says, worship the Lord and serve him only. And then it says, and the devil left him and angels came and attended him. See, our reward is on the other side of the wilderness. It's on the other side of the wilderness. The writer of Hebrews shows us how Jesus did it. In Hebrews 12, it says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. So that word's in there. Why? Because you're going to need it. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So Jesus is our standard. He's the, the picture, the pattern, the power, the presence on how we do this. He's the pioneer, the perfecter. There's six P words for you of our faith. Here's how he did it. This is what I wanted to show you. For the joy set before him, for the joy set before him, so he had a picture of what was better that enabled him to endure what? The cross, scorning its shame, or another, another translation says enduring, enduring its shame. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand the throne of God. So our job is to consider him who endured such hardship 
such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you're going through hardship, the power and the presence to deal with it and the pattern, the, the way it needs to be dealt with is all as we consider him who endured it, who endured great, the greatest, greatest pain that any human being has ever born, Jesus did. And our power is in considering him who bore that for us so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. A couple thoughts. So how do we see beyond this moment that we're in, beyond the wilderness? Because that's, the devil wants to rob your hope in this moment that you're in. He wants to convince you this will never get better. There's no way this will get better. I'm better off just to like call it quits or to leave. That's why do people kill themselves? Because they believe the lie that the devil said there is no hope for you. And so our job is to remind ourselves that with Christ there is hope and that this is temporary. God will bring me through to better days. And let, let me just remind you, this life is temporary. There is a bigger picture at play here. Number two, this world is a wilderness and my ultimate reward is not here. I was praying the other day and I would say by all accounts, like, it's funny, I, I'm supposed to go back to, to England, back to the Alpha Church at the end of May. And I was like, God, it'd be really nice and really poetic if you could kind of bookend this season. Like this crap started when I got back from there. So could you like end it? <laughs> You're laughing because you know how real that prayer is. I'm like, oh. I say, God, when is this done? Like, it's just one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. I just felt the Spirit just whisper. How many of you know God's best words are whispers? And it's in these wilderness times you hear His whisper. I just heard Him say to me, you're like, this is temporary. Don't believe the lie that there is no hope and don't believe that you won't have times of refreshing in this life. There's joy ahead for you. It's not all endure the cross. There's gonna be good times too. You know, believe my word when I said, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We believe that. We're not nihilists. God is good all the time, not just in the end. So I felt them say, you know, you're gonna have times of refreshing and joy and laughter. Things are gonna go well for you times where your soul prospers even as everything prospers. So I felt them just check me. Don't live in dis defeat. And for some of you, I just need to say that over you. Like, don't hear this message and go into a woe is me state that I'm just always going to suffer for Jesus. No, you're not always going to, but sometimes you will. But I had this sense where he said to me, don't forget though, this world is a wilderness. The mountaintops happen, but there are valleys in this world. And this life is a wilderness. Death still is a thing. Sin is still a thing. The devil has not been put away forever and ever yet. Yes, he's been defeated. He's not the king, but he's still running rampant. This world is a wilderness. This life is a pilgrimage. I felt him say, the rest you are looking for will only fully come when I come again. 
in this world, you will have trouble. But fear not, I've overcome the world. I'm gonna pray for you. If you're in the wild today, I want you to remember, 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 you are a son and daughter of God, not because of anything you did or didn't do, but because of what he accomplished for you, what Jesus accomplished for you on the cross, you have been accepted. Receive it. Don't let the devil question that. You need to remember today that he is not wasting the hurts that are happening to you. He's using them for your good and his glory. And you will stand before him someday. And it says every tear from every eye will be wiped away. That's even tears of regret and past pain. You won't look back and say, yeah, God, but that. You'll say, you led me so well. And remember, remember, your reward is coming. Your, your ultimate reward is not in this life. It's not, it's not. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Set your joy further away than just what's happening in the wilderness. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it gives us hope, especially in times of trouble and difficulty. And I pray, Father, for my family, my friends, my church community, Lord, today. I pray for those who are in the wilderness. Holy Spirit, would you come close? Even as it says, after Jesus passed the test, angels came and tended to him. Father, I pray even in this moment, for those in Halifax, online, West, Charlottetown, here at the Valley, would you tend to our souls today, Holy Spirit? Even as we go, would you just remind us whose we are? Would you just push away those doubts and questions as to whether or not we are in right standing with you? And Father, would you give us confidence and assurance that you are causing all things, even these atrocious things that some of us have to deal with, even the loss of loved ones, you will cause all things to come together for our ultimate eternal good. So help us fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And remind our hearts today that you are preparing for us a glory that far surpasses and far outweighs these momentary troubles we have to endure. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior, and all God's people said, amen.